what we're finding is still the sports betting space is figuring out how they're going to dance with the women's marketplace, coupled with the fact that some of these properties and stakeholders have explicitly said they are also figuring out what is the right place. And, you know, there's that perception that betting is still considered villain industries with alcohol, legalized marijuana, etc. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on Twitter Spaces. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, Gaming News Canada show. Steve McAllister here from Parlay Media Group and Gaming News Canada. But let's get started. We did pick up something in the newsletter this week in our in our, in our World Cup section about uh, the fact that betting on the World Cup has maybe been a little bit affected um, by its place on the calendar. Usually, World Cup would almost be an exclusive offering in the in the summertime. I, I guess, you, you know, in Canada, you'd have some CFL and you'd have Major League Baseball. But for the most part, it's a pretty quiet time. Um, the World Cup taking place in November, December, it, it is competing against the NFL and and both the NBA and the NHL are in their regular seasons. And then we also have U.S. college football and, and basketball. Have, have, do you, would you agree that that maybe has had a bit of an impact on, on the amount of betting that's been done on the tournament? It's been our most bet uh, event. So um, overall, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the numbers are at the end of the day compared to what they were in 2018. But um, I'm sure it. I'm sure it has an effect, and I'm sure, especially here in in Canada, North America, the the timing of the matches has an effect. You know, people, um, you know, may even take their summer vacation around it some years if they're if they're really big fans. And um, yeah, the timing getting into the Christmas season here, and, and there's a whole lot else uh, vying for people's attention for sure, and, and their dollars. Um, so yeah, we'll probably see a drop off in it. Uh, but you know, I think uh, it'll be again hard to compare this World Cup to the next World Cup because it's going to be happening in our time zone and, and uh, in our stadiums. So you know, the interest should be driven completely higher again. So I guess, uh, you know, every one of them is different. And, um, you know, I think it, the interest and the, um, the attention that this World Cup has gotten uh, in Canada is, uh, you know, I think it's still pretty high. There was some disappointment when when uh, Italy didn't qualify for this World Cup, especially in Toronto, where we always know there's there's great scenes um around uh you know around those games that evolve italy but to your to your earlier point i mean there's a lot of interest in soccer in canada and, and in toronto there's a obviously we're a diverse nation and as you pointed out earlier that when you look at the quarterfinal matchups i think there's still going to be a lot of interest and in, and in for the sports books a lot of action on those four quarterfinal games Oh yeah, I think no doubt about it. I, you know, uh, the news that came out at the beginning of the event for anyone who's not in Toronto is that you know John Tory and the the municipal government op- you know opened up the liquor licenses a little bit earlier. I fully expect the pubs will be uh, will be rocking over the next couple of days here as we get into the quarterfinal. In fact, I might I might have to take it in myself. But it's um, you know I think the excitement levels there. I think uh, the exposure that the sport has gotten. Um, listen, there's there's always been hardcore uh, footy fans, right? But I think the exposure that the sport has gotten in our country over the last, you know, this qualifying run for our men's team especially has certainly created new fans. And, and you know, the success, and I don't always want to be Ontario-centric, but it's it's what I know know the most. The success and the excitement around, you know, Toronto FC, it's, it's a growth wave. It takes time, but, I, you know, I, I really think it's, uh, it's going to see a major jump here again as we go through the next cycle. The lead item in the newsletter this week about uh, women's sports, women's soccer, women's hockey, 
um, you know, you're someone back in your day at Coolbet who I believe was, was front and center and, and doing an endorsement deal with, with Rachel Holman's curling rink. And I just, just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, you know, it does seem that, uh, women's sports never been more popular. I think there's still, still some growth that has to be done, but it does seem there's an opportunity now for, for corporate support, uh, for women's sports. And just wondering, you know, given the amount of money that, that is being spent by sports book operators in Ontario and by the, the lottery corporations, uh, across the country, like, do you think that the time is right to invest in women's sports? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, it's not a straightforward answer because we know that, you know, traditionally men's sports has just generated more money in terms of revenue for the teams, revenue for the players, revenue uh, and money production put into or money put into production of the of the events. And I think there's been a lot of leaders uh, trying to um, progress women's sports. I think sponsorship of teams, more notoriety, more primetime events, more hoopla given by even you know a, a pregame show or a, or a postgame show to to say hey this is important instead of it being you know two minutes at the at the end of a segment uh, oh Marie Philippe Poulin scored another game winning goal like we need to we need to celebrate that more um, but at the same time these sports have not always generated the revenue I I, I know that it's uh, it could be a chicken or an egg thing you know one of the things that I I found interesting. And I, I take Bill Burr for what he's worth sometimes. I, I find him hilarious myself. But he talks about how viewership drives all of this. And he was talking about why the WNBA has you know, lost money for years and years and years because it's not supported. Uh, but then if you look at you know, reality TV and things like that, they get the views. They get the sponsorship money. So I think part of it is we need to drive interest in these sports. So, again, it's a chicken or an egg thing. Is the, is the product good? Uh, is it is it good, but are we not presenting it in the right way? So I think there's a whole lot of a lot of variables that goes into into promoting it in something that's been a traditional, you know, male dominated, uh, um, you know, universe. Uh, not that the sports aren't good, not that these athletes aren't amazing. So I think sponsorships, I think TV interest, all those things have to drive the the public opinion on that and that's where i think so you know lastly uh talking about rachel's team i mean listen men women whatever they're they're world class they're they're unbelievable and partnering with them is a no-brainer right same way as partnering with kia nurse would be a no-brainer same thing as as partnering with with the canadian women's hockey team or, or their soccer team would be an absolute no-brainer um so i think you know par- brands want to partner with with really highly visible highly successful entities and, and of course team holman is one of those and adding tracy flurry this year doesn't hurt um i think they're going to do very very well um so yeah i mean it's uh it's an exciting time i think it's on sponsors and corporate uh, partners to make these events bigger and better and more accessible for people and then i think we'll see uh you know the, the cycle that we've seen with men's sports to a degree so um you know that's a, it's a long winded answer of saying I don't have all the answers and uh, I think that I think attention and visibility and financial commitment but we also need the uptake we need fans people need to watch people need to go buy tickets you know the Sportsnet can show the professional women's hockey uh, event in in Nova Scotia a few weeks ago but you know you're playing in a three or four thousand seat stadium and it's 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 primarily empty so we've got to get get bums in the seats and, and I think that's going to be what eventually drives this at the end of the day.
Hey, Chris, great, uh, great stuff. Really appreciate, uh, really appreciate your help, uh, help on this. Uh, wish you a safe flight back to Toronto and, and we'll get you, uh, we'll get you back on the Gaming News Canada show when you're, when you're back in these parts. Uh, cheers. Thanks everybody for letting me suck up all this oxygen for the last few minutes. <laughs> Always our pleasure, Chris. Safe travels. I, you know, I wouldn't mind jumping in the women's sports and I feel like I have a, um, uh, incredible rich debate about this you know once every few weeks with my one of my two daughters uh, they're 22 and 24 and and because I have daughters uh, you know it's it's a topic very close to my uh, my heart I've, I've I've been in the sports marketing game for most of my career and we we often discuss that dynamic Chris was just talking about uh, you know um, about the limited traction that many women's sports have had. But I think if, if a country or a region was poised to, um, to break through and to elevate and, and um, you know, reach, reach the heights needed for uh, multi-stakeholder engagement, it is North America because we give um, the opportunity and we invest at the grassroots level. And if you look every two years, the Canadian Olympic team is dominated by women, uh, the success, the medals. Um, so we've got, we've got the interest. I think we got the will when it comes to the pro sports and the audience, it really is a case of, we have to go, we have to shift our mindset. And, uh, here's a good example. Uh, you know, I, 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 this really stood out to me and it's no slight on, on James, um, uh, Duffy, but um, when they went to the halftime of the men's game against um, against uh, Croatia, we were down two one. But they he he talked about the goal from Alfonso Davies, and and he's got Janine Becky on the panel, who's won a gold medal for Canada, in women's women's soccer. He says that was the greatest moment in Canadian soccer history, and the side eye he got from her. And the look of shock that I had on my face, and thankfully James corrected himself when they came back. Um, uh, Duthie did, and um, they must have had a pretty interesting chat off camera about it. But that's the issue, right? We've got to we've got to make a commitment, men, women, experts, pundits, everybody, to um, putting the women's games, women's sports. Um, in the four and talking about them and and covering them uh, and then audiences will come right and it's going to be a slow build and the last thing I'll say it's also long-winded it's okay if it doesn't reach the heights and the audience levels of men's sports because brands can still spend they just may spend less you know over the years when I've sold sponsorship um, some of it is sold on metrics and some of it is sold on environment and this is an environment and context fit. A lot of brands want to support the growth of women's sports. And if the metrics are just not super high, they don't have to pay super high rates like they would for, you know, an NHL or an NBA partnership. So I think the opportunities are there. I think partners want to get involved. They'll spend at the right levels. And we just got to keep pushing the agenda and keeping it front to front and center in the media and and the rest will come. Couldn't agree more. Um, as you look at my own avatar, you'll see uh, that I share the space with uh, a girl that's actually turning 17 today. 
Um, oh, yeah. And she is, happy, and happy. she is happy birthday. Yeah, she is. Uh, uh, she just completed seven years of, of girls softball in uh, in Oakville, where we live. And one of the things that that I found distressing uh, was not was not only reading about hearing the fall off uh, in in participation through their teenage years uh, in girls athletics, um, but you know, sort of seeing it firsthand where, you know, year after year, uh, there would be less people, less girls participating in house league as they got older and obviously had more distractions, sometimes summer jobs and the like. Um, but um, it's been so rewarding and so enriching for her to be a part of that, that you want to see it further. And when you then have, you know, role modeling, um, at the professional level to look up to, um, I think that can only have a positive effect all the way through the system from the, the uppermost levels um, where uh, participants are paid to play, um, right down to the grassroots and encouraging um, young girls to think of sports um, as an avenue uh, to pursue over a longer term as opposed to just a, a couple years of, of soccer when they're really quite young. And, and really quick uh, follow-up point to that is there's been a lot of studies about how women or young girls drop out of sports at a certain level, whereas boys stay on. And part of the reason is they don't have a, a next level. And that's what, back to your they don't point, see that Steve, destination. Yeah. Yeah, is, is now you've got this new women's professional league that's going to be launching in 25 is going to let girls who fall out of soccer at a certain age, at Will's daughter's age, um, not a year, years of softball, but, but that's a similar age. Now they'll have a pathway, a continued pathway to, to aim for, and hopefully they'll stay in the sport longer because tennis certainly has that. Now there's more girls drop out of tennis than, than boys do, but not to the rate of other sports. So it's great to see this new league. Um, and great leadership behind it, boy, oh, boy. Um, so I have no doubt it will be a success. You yeah. know, and, and one thing I would say is, is sports betting can play a role in fueling the larger success. I mean, I reflect back to the earliest days of the pandemic when all the major North American team sports leagues shut down. Um, and strangely, there was all of a sudden this incredible uptick in the coverage and the popularity of European table tennis. Uh, and it's because the Vegas sports books um, and other books were actually still offering um, markets on ping pong. <laughs> and so there was this incredible rise um, because it was one of the few vehicles that was available to bet on um, and it fueled the interest of the sport. So um, once uh, bookmakers start creating markets and, and different options uh, around these leagues, um, they'll, I, I think there will actually be, um, not, not a, a huge contribution, but a contribution nonetheless, um, to, uh, to growth and popularity. And, and great stuff guys. And, uh, yeah, Gavin, to your, to your point, uh, we, we're going to have Dr. Sherry Bradish from the future sport lab at Toronto Metropolitan University. He's been working with Canadian women in sport and, and they announced this week that they've got a report out and, and. A lot of that data shows, yeah. One of the, one of the things that I found staggering is that you know fifty percent of girls uh, are, are out of sport by the time they reach adolescence, which is you know that's pretty pretty stunning. And and uh, as someone who's you know had two daughters, uh, grown daughters now, but who played minor sports as, as teenagers, 
that's that's a problem and and obviously it's it's not it's not an easy fix and it's a it's a problem with, uh, at a bunch of different uh, different levels. Delighted to have uh, Dr. Sherry Bradish, uh, Director of the Future Sport Lab and Sport Initiatives at Toronto Metropolitan University School of Business Management. <laughs> My God, that's a mouthful, Sherry. I know, I know. <laughs> um, join us for, for the last uh, last segment of the show. And, and Sherry, a lot to talk about. And we had uh, uh, Gavin and, and Will Hill and, and Chris uh, Abbott from Botano. We spent some time at the beginning of the show before you joined us talking a bit about some of the news around women's sports this week. But I'm, I'm hoping we can go through uh, f- through a, a few of these items and get your thoughts on this. And if you don't mind, I'd like to start with uh, you know the, the breaking news on Monday night from, from Diana Matheson mm-hmm. and Christine Sinclair and and uh, their plans to launch a Canadian Women's uh, Sports League uh, for 2025. And, uh, you know, the PWHPA came out with an announcement early this week that, that uh, you know, their All-Star Weekend's gotten a bit of a boost because TSN and RDS are going to broadcast uh, the, the games and the festivities from the weekend on, on Saturday and Sunday. And, and uh, obviously, you know, a lot of conversation, Marie Philippe Poulin being named uh, the winner of the North Star Award as Canada's Athlete of the Year yesterday. So awful lot of momentum with women's sports this week. And, and uh, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to read the newsletter yet today, but, uh, you know, I wrote a section this morning on is it, you know, is the time now for greater corporate support of, of women's sports and if there's a place for the sports book industry to, to play in that. And I re- really would love to get your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, thank you. Uh, have not been with the Canadian, the gaming news Canada show for a while. So it's good to, you know, see your, see your, your icons there. I mean, obviously it's been um, a lot. It's been, uh, you know, a slow roll to the week that we've had. There's a lot happening in the female sport marketplace for sure in Canada. Um, As you said, you probably dissected it well at the front. Um, The Diana Matheson projects have been about, you know, it's been a little bit in the works as I'm aware. Um, And, you know, rolling to 20, 25 as you say so it's an interesting it's a really interesting time that's for sure and I mean in full disclosure you probably know I'm working with Canadian Women in Sport and Boston Consulting Group we're in the middle of writing a white paper on the opportunities and really the investment thesis for this country um, in in women's professional sports so a lot of these stakeholders and, and individuals you're talking about, we've been fortunate to have spent some time with over the last few months. And, and we've seen, you know, Sherry, this week, uh, we know that Canadian Tire, they've already gotten on board along with CIBC for, for this um, Project 8 concept for, for a women's soccer league in, in Canada. And we, we're all, we've also seen the, the tweets this week of, with support for uh, the women's para hockey team that yeah. currently currently doesn't get funding from Hockey Canada, and we see that the Canadian Tire has stepped up uh, on behalf of uh, on behalf of those mm-hmm. those women. I, I guess you know the, the sportsbook one's an interesting one because um, you know there's a few there's a few layers to it. Um, you know we know that we know that the sportsbook operators have money. They've certainly been spending mm-hmm. it on on not only advertising but sponsorships and we mentioned in the newsletter that uh you know the that points by canada they've, they've stepped up with with curling canada and uh they're they're a presenting sponsor of a men's and women's invitational tournament mm-hmm. that debuted in september and the score 
the score is involved with with Golf Canada. Um, and we know also on the other side that because women's sports has been neglected to some extent that, um, you know, having that that rich amount of data that can be used for, for betting purposes that, you know, the PWHPA, for example, that that would be a hard uh that would be a hard offering for, for, for betters right now. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know you've, you've, you know, w- w- when we started the the newsletter f- almost two years ago now, we, we had these conversations yes. about sports books and sports sponsorship. And I, I, I'm just curious as to where, if you do think that there's, there's a place for sports books to play with, with these fledgling leagues. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I do. I see it as an opportunity in some of the uh, work that, I've done not attached to what I've mentioned earlier definitely sees it as an opportunity but I'll share with what we're finding and I don't know if in all of that you knew Amy Howe hosted a thing for women um, obviously the CEO of globally of FanDuel she was in town last week I don't know if you caught all that and all your other news Um, so hosted something last week at MLSE Um, I think that anecdotally what we're finding is still um that the sports betting space is figuring out how they're going to dance with the women's marketplace um coupled with the fact that some of these properties and stakeholders have explicitly said they are also figuring out what is the right place and you know there's that perception that a little bit um the betting is still considered, this is an academic term, you know, the villain industries with, um, you know, alcohol and, you know, even some of the transitions we saw with, you know, legalized marijuana, et cetera. And, and so I would say that I've heard specifically from some uh, of the, of the sh- sh- stakeholders and champions of the women's sport marketplace, they need to figure out an authentic space and a right space for the betting market and they're still figuring out, you know, some of the responsible gaming pieces. So I agree with you. It's, it's obviously an opportunity. Um, but I, from what I understand, the marketplace is still, um, figuring out the best way to have those authentic conversations and partnerships. I'd also suggest too, Sherry, I think just on that responsible gambling piece. And, and, and again, we've talked about this in the newsletter. We've talked about this yeah. in, in this forum on Thursday afternoons that I think that there's probably, um, you know, brand, brand ambassadors haven't been used nearly well enough in getting that responsible gambling mm-hmm. message across. And I think there would be an opportunity here to have female athletes and, and, uh, I think for the most part, most of the ambassador deals that we've seen with sports books, certainly in the U.S., have tended to be male, with male male athletes. Yeah. So, again, I think that's another extension of what a, a partnership could look like here is, is uh, you know, is getting these elite level female athletes and, and having them serve as brand ambassadors and, and use them to get out that RG message. Right. And Bet99 had that campaign about what a year ago, right? Where they, yes, yes, you know, did pull on that, but that is what I'm hearing. But yet then, you know, we turn and look at not only all those news you've mentioned, you know, we know the WNBA is here in 2023. ESPNW is coming and doing a big conference in Toronto in, um, before the summer 2023. So, and there's a few other little things I know that, um, will be rolling out. So, the metrics all point to 
throughout North America, um, you know, bullish on the female market and they see the opportunities um, as opposed to the men's market that's considered more mature. They see a lot of opportunities there. Yeah. Uh, well, hell, I just want to get you in here in case you have a question for Sherry or a comment. No, uh, but I'm glad that Sherry mentioned uh, Amy Howe. Um, in what is largely, uh, regrettably, still a very much a male-oriented, mm -hmm. a male-dominated industry in sports betting. Miss um, uh, Howe is uh, probably its foremost leader in North America. Yeah. I mean, certainly her, the company that she represents um, owns about 50% of the addressable market in the U.S., um, and that's partly through an excellent product but partly a testament to her excellent leadership. So I wasn't aware that she's in Toronto. I regret uh, mm -hmm. that I didn't know that and that I'm learning about it a week later. Uh, but uh, um, absolutely uh, someone that can be stood up as, as, a, as a shining example for others to follow along. Yeah, yeah. it was, um, they, they did a lot, they kind of had a really tight schedule for a couple of days, I think, Will. But um, they did, it was a packed room of uh, all women except for Dale Hooper <laughs> and um, they did a breakfast and Q&A talk with her just generally about the business and um, and, and it, it I would say teased a lot of the things we're talking about here yeah and I will say to Sherry and, and Will of uh, what Will had to say is this FanDuel has you know I think taken a leadership role um uh, I talked to Alan Hislop at the Jest this week, and, and the FanDuel's been a partner of the Jest, and they're already working on something around the Women's World Cup next yeah. year. Uh, we know FanDuel's been very supportive of uh, Jamie Messler and the, and the Game Society. Um, so, yeah, and I'm sure Amy Howell obviously is, is driving uh, is, is driving that. Hey, Sherry, I want, I want to switch gears because we're almost at the, at sure. the top of the hour. I, I did want to talk to you quickly about the uh, about the. Uh, announcement from the Canadian Women in Sport yesterday, I believe, on, on Rally Report 2022 and, and some of the data that came out and, and mentioned earlier before you were able to join us about, you know, the fact that the report uh, found that, you know, 50% of, of girls are, are giving up on sport by the time they reach adolescence. That was incredibly troubling to me. And I, I just mm -hmm. wonder if, the, if you can provide a, a few other takeaways from, from the report and, and, uh, and, and what, what concerns you and, and where we can go from here? I mean, I think um, there's been three or four tentpole reports in this space that have come out in the last little bit. Canadian Tire Jumpstart also, you know, reinforces these numbers. Um, right before that, um, in the last month, uh, MLSE Launchpad's think tank has come out. Their correlation is obviously a concern with uh, mental illness of the segment and that um, youth don't have anyone to talk to or really go to even it, more less so than they did before. So even if they're in a sporting experience, the correlation with mental health is getting higher. And then in particular, the States, which is working with Jumpstart, the Aspen Institute's report, and they're just reporting it this week. Um, you know, there's a higher through COVID. There's also a higher use of specialty sport programs so a kid can't just go to high school and play sports and that's also becoming a real problem so systematically I mean it's not like you know I say I'm 29 but I'm joking of course but it's not <laughs> like we used to grow up and you just could go to school and play sports and basically by grade eight the dropout is just is very very significant and I mean we're not touching on everything that's going on uh, in Ottawa about safe sport 
does not help any of this at all. And, and that's a whole other topic, but I'm grappling with it personally and professionally. You know, we talk about the opportunities for the commercial sport marketplace and over a thousand women have come forward in Ottawa and there's really little movement on a progressive independent um, system for safe sport. Yeah, Which isn't, isn't, isn't a positive message, but it all has to be factored in in a very small country like ours. Yeah, no, and I've been very vocal, Sherry, about the need for a, for a public inquiry. I, I think the Canadian sports system is bro- badly broken right now. And and, and very political. The stories yes. are highly, uh, NSOs and, P- and multi-sport organizations kind of have to sit on their hands because they're being told to. Yeah, one thing I will say just quickly, Sherry, is I think that uh, one one point that was comes up in the report that I, I couldn't agree with more as someone who's coached both boys and girls is a really isn't any kind of training uh, or, you know, really teaching people, whether you're a coach or a trainer, uh, you know, not everybody is, is a parent to a daughter or has any experience of raising a girl. And I do think that some of the coaching certification programs and, and some of the education yes. sessions could do a better job. A hundred percent identifying uh, that that it is, it is completely different coaching girls and, and boys and I'll, you know I'll I'll go to my grave jumping up and down down on that one and and we we would all benefit and even someone like me who who is a father of daughters uh, would benefit from from more education and training in, in that area so yeah um, and the maturation of girls yes. is increased quicker and that's a factor as well so yeah, um, stuff. Hey, listen, Sherry, let's, let's get you. Yeah, let's get you back on here. Happy the, to. It's a topic. Uh, it's not going to go away. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot happen, and we're, we are going to have a women's World Cup soccer tournament in 2023. So we'll get you back on. But re- really okay. appreciate you coming on. And Good joining to us. see all these friends on the line. Yeah. So we'll yeah, talk soon. Sure. Thanks. Yes, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Sherry Braddish from Toronto Metropolitan University. We're a little bit uh, sports heavy this week, but there's just so many good topics. So I, I do want to talk to uh, uh, and Gavin, hoping you weigh in here. I, I do want to get into uh, for a few minutes about Fred McGriff's selection into into Cooperstown last Sunday night. And again, this was a this was a contemporary uh, baseball players committee that uh, made the decision to uh, to to elect McGriff and. Uh, of course, Toronto baseball fans familiar with McGriff on a cu- couple of levels. I mean, McGriff kind of his career took off uh, as the first baseman for the Blue Jays back in the '80s, and then was part of that humongous trade that Pat Gillick made in December 1990 when uh, when Gillick sent uh, McGriff and Tony Fernandez to the San Diego Padres for Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar. And we, and we uh, if you're a baseball fan, you know what happened after that. Uh, Alomar and Carter sparked those. World Series championship teams of 1992 and and 93 and and Gavin just because you're you're close to my vintage I'm sure I'm sure you certainly remember Fred McGriff and is McGriff a guy that that you uh, you look at as someone who belongs in Cooperstown? Yeah, yeah. I mean his numbers. I mean he fell just shy, I think, of 500 home runs. Uh, but uh, you know he was an RBI machine um, throughout of his throughout his career and. Um, I, I personally, it's interesting, you know, I don't want to be too biased and too much of a homer. I, I, I just, when you think it's the eye test, right? When you mention it in somebody's name and you just say, yeah, I mean, longevity stands for something and he had it and he put up big counting numbers. And, uh, so I'm not begrudging it. I just, I wouldn't have been fussed or devastated if McGriff didn't get in, 
But I, he, he, listen, he's a solid, solid citizen by all accounts as well. And it's nice to see, you know, good people have, have a great career and get recognized. And, and I think just the interesting part now will be, and I ha- I'm, I'm pretty sure he might lean Braves, but boy, it would be nice for him to go in wearing a Blue Jays, uh, a Blue Jays cap. I don't know if you have a sense there, Steve, uh, or, or a feeling uh, which way he, he'll lean there. Yeah, that's an interesting one, uh, Gavin. I haven't heard I haven't heard anything about what cap he will wear. It, it, it's, uh, everything I saw earlier in the week indicated that him wearing a Blue Jays cap was was a long shot. We'll have I to see so. what happens. I wonder. Will Will Hill is a former Blue Jays employee. I, I'm sure you have some thoughts on McGriff's uh, election. Yeah, and they're all good. Um, first and foremost, uh, wonderful to see someone of his talents uh, recognized. Um, other people have actually, you know, spoken about hockey and, and basketball uh, as being the halls of the very good uh, because they allow a number of candidates in. I've actually always found football and baseball to be a little too exclusionary. Um, so I love to see someone like Fred McGriff uh, recognized. That's the first point. The second point is. Um, one of my own personal and professional favorites from the seven seasons I spent with the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was only there for a part of it, was Carlos Delgado, um, someone that I thought was criminally um, under-recognized during his career, in part because um, you know he played with a, a perennial third-place finisher in the AL East at a time when the Yankees and Red Sox were wagering nuclear war uh, with one another with, with payrolls that absolutely dwarfed um, ours here in Toronto, um, and also at a time when there was a number of really talented first basemen um, in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, if, if McGriff is, is a Hall of Famer, um, then I dare say, um, you know, from a stats perspective, from a career achievement perspective, I actually think that uh, uh, the committee in Cooperstown is going to have to take uh, a revised and second look at, at Carlos Delgado and consider his accomplishments, uh, because quite frankly, um, just an extraordinary player, uh, and I, I will say, and I don't mean to, to name drop because I got to know him quite well personally, lovely man, an extraordinary human being, just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful person, um, you know, not only team-minded in terms of, you know, being a, a great teammate with, with uh, uh, those around him in the clubhouse, um, but civic-minded as well. Uh, someone who uh, really always put the interests of his home country well, uh, we don't we don't have a vote on this committee. I just want to let you know. I don't think any of us have a, a vote. I know you're law. You're, this is a wonderful lobbying effort, but I just uh, want to make sure you know. All I'm saying, my friend, is that uh, um, uh, this this McGriff vote um, opens up new possibilities that we hadn't possible we hadn't uh, considered or contemplated okay. before. Yeah, for hey, sure. Well, well, I did want to ask just on your comment about character. That it's, it's something I did want to get into with with you and hopefully Gavin as well, because uh, you know I've I've long been against Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens getting into the hall. I think um, you know it's, it's really really obvious that those guys were using performance enhancing drugs. I know there's a debate about steroids not being legal at the time, but. I, I think character should be part of the criteria for getting in the hall, and I, I know that that can be a slippery slope. But I, I'd love to get uh, get your thoughts and, and Gavin's thoughts on that. Well, go ahead, you first. Yeah. So, 
I mean, this is this is always a very difficult one um, because um, which which of those character issues speaks to the integrity of the game? I mean, obviously, steroids you can draw a direct link to performance enhancement, and whether that that chips away at the integrity of the competition. Um, uh, obviously, to to a certain extent, it did for the better part of, of almost two full decades. Um, but then, you know, at the same time, you know, one of the earliest inductees to Cooperstown, Cooperstown was Ty Cobb who was about as virulently racist, at least according yeah. to historical records, as anyone that's ever stepped foot on the diamond. Um, and, and so um, how you can make uh, take pause and make exceptions for certain behaviors that would be considered offensive in most settings, um, but but allow for it in this one, um, is, uh, it, it is difficult. Um, and... Uh, <sighs> Goodness gracious! Uh, uh, there you go, Gavin. You have to take a shot now. I, I dropped my first goodness gracious of the uh, of the week. Wait, I'm filling in um, my bingo card here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, with with Roger Clements, I mean, you know, ostensibly people say that his steroid abuse began in Toronto when he recorded what I think are the two best individual seasons by any Blue Jay ever. Um, but if you just took the segment of his career in Boston before he was left for dead by the Red Sox and sent off to, to Toronto, well, that actually constitutes a pretty good Hall of Fame resume all on its own. Um, and, and so, you know, can you piece out the, the part that where he was, quote-unquote, drug-free um, and, and sort of, you know, remove the contextual backdrop of those other years? Um, it's, it's, it's all very hard to, to say. Yeah, listen, I think, you know, for me, Pete Rose, it's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. He, sh- he shouldn't be in the hall. He, he bet on baseball. He knew he shouldn't bet on baseball. For me, that's, that's black and white. A great, great baseball player, but uh, doesn't belong in Cooperstown. And then the one, I guess the one that pulls at my heartstrings a little bit be- because I grew up as an Atlanta Braves fan, really because of Hank Aaron, but that's Dale Murphy. And a guy who had an outstanding career, won some N- M- NL MVP awards, um, but again, just one of those guys that just hasn't been able to get the necessary votes to get into Cooperstown. And, and well, you talk about uh, guys like Delgado and McGriff and Dale Murphy was, you, you just won't meet a better, uh, a better Cut person. Cut the cloth. It must be a lunar eclipse, but Will and I, I think are agreeing for the second time here. And, and I, you know, a character debate is a, is a really tricky one to wade into because yes, there are a number of of uh, players in there that you can argue uh, on character shouldn't be, but by by numbers, um, I think it's been great to let these guys squirm for a bit um, and for more than a bit, and then eventually let if the committee, if the contemporary committee lets them in, I'd have no problem with it as long as you know the story around them is always going to be that they played in the steroid era. And uh, there was alleged cheating and all that, whatever. And uh, but their numbers are are were legendary and exceptional. And from performance alone, you know that they 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 have a place in all. So that's where I'd land with those guys. Uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, Will Hill, thanks so much for for hanging around. Uh, please, everybody, it's the Christmas season. Um, lots of Christmas parties going on. Uh, kids are busy. We're all at Christmas shopping. So please be safe out there. And we'll be back here again next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show, a Parlay Media Group production. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience. And DM us if you're interested in sponsorship or being a featured guest.